You're listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from denverstiffs.com, Adam Mates. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mates from denverstiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, a growing community. This has been a fun year for uh, uh, so many different reasons, but one of the reasons is just to see the growing passion and excitement and just the bandwagon getting bigger. Of course, we welcome everybody abroad that's jumping on, but it's just fun. It's cool to see people finding this Nuggets team cool. It's cool to see people finding Denver Stiffs and Locked On Nuggets cool. Um, it's, it's just It's been a great experience all around, and nights like tonight. Um, you know, I've said this a lot. It's not when you make everything just about championships and look that's the ultimate goal. I'm not there should only be one goal and that goal is to win an NBA championship, but you lose so much of it when you just don't enjoy the little victories, the small little experiences, even the, and to be honest with you, if you're anything like me, even the little pains. This is what being a sports fan is all about, and tonight you got a little bit of both. You got uh, complete agony for stretches, and you've got complete ecstasy for stretches. And it was just—it was really, really a, a special night as Denver rallied back from I, when I—I I just went back and rewatched this game, and the second time through, I kept thinking, "There's no way they win this." I knew they did. But I thought there's no way they win this given being down 19 points with in the fourth quarter. It was just it, you, my memory after watching it one time was that Denver sort of chipped away starting in the third. But no, it wasn't the case. They got down big and then they came back. So today's episode is going to be obviously sharing some notes on that in segment one and two. In segment three, I want to turn my attention to Anthony Davis because it's important that we talk about Anthony Davis. He was the story um, today. As his agent, Rich Paul, who's also LeBron's agent and buddy, um, came out with the news that he wants to demand a trade and he will not be staying in New Orleans. So I want to talk about what that means for the league and what that means for Denver. I think Denver is actually um, not at the center of this story, but they are lurking in the background of that story. And I think there's a lot of interesting things to kind of unwind from there. But before we get started, we have a watch party this Saturday, and I hope you come out and join us. It should be a lot of fun. Saturday night, the Nuggets play the Timberwolves. Um, they're scheduled for the rest of the week, so they got New Orleans coming up, um, a game they can win. I don't think I don't know if Jamal Murray will be back for that one, but I would guess not. On Friday, they are home against the Houston Rockets in what could be the debut or the re-debut, <laughs> the Reese. Um, the, the second time we get to see the starting lineup, I, I think Jamal Murray would probably be back on Friday if he's not back on um, Wednesday of this week. Uh, and then on Saturday, you go into Minnesota and you play against a Timberwolves team that's a division rival and just, I think, a lot of really, really cool layers to that one. So our watch party this Saturday, uh, I believe the game's at 7 o'clock on Saturday, and it is at the Sports Column. It should be a lot of fun. We'll have music, lots of prize giveaways. I think this one will be a little bit smaller than our last one, so there's a great chance for you to come and win uh, a lot of prizes. And then just hang out with the Stiffs. I always enjoy getting to meet um, fans and, and, and followers and Denver Nuggets fans, and, and so come out and join us. That's at Sports Column. All right, getting into this one. Here are uh, the starting with the, some of the quick notes. Jokic had a, a my first note in here. Nikola Jokic had a through the legs pass, um, in traffic, two defenders 
in the paint, surrounded by a bunch of bodies. He somehow hiked the ball. I put this on Twitter, so if you're following it at me at Twitter, go to my timeline and check it out because it was, in my opinion, one of his four or five best passes of his career, but it's going to be lost. It'll, it'll, it will not make it into the archives because Paul Millsap grabs the pass and misses the layup. Marcus Hall made a very good job, did a very good job of contesting it, but still, it's a shot you think you know you would like to see a guy make. So unfortunately, it'll be lost. But the pass itself in a vacuum is right up there with the pass uh, a couple years back. Jokic threw through the legs of of Giannis, and Jamal Murray had a wide open three. He misses. This one is right up there with that one in terms of the all time great passes Jokic has thrown that unfortunately um, will be lost and forgotten but uh it was it was a real beauty the nuggets opened this game i wanted to start with like a positive thing because i I, everything else for the next like segment here is going to be negative the nuggets opened up down 18 to 4 they were down 18 to 4 to open this game and i would like to say that it was surprising except for that it wasn't and look this is this might be the last time I talk about this on the show. I know I, I, one of the the difficulties of doing a podcast after every game and throughout an entire season is a lot of your notes can be very similar because some of the things the team team the team goes through trends. There's certain things that stick out game after game after game. Well, I, you have to talk about it in this game um, because it, to me it was the most important thing, and I hope a watershed, a turning point moment for Michael Malone and the coaching staff to finally just realize what is so bad about this starting unit, and in particular about starting Torrey Craig alongside Paul Millsap in a free-flowing offense. So they start down 18-4, to and it was completely unsurprising. The offense just looks different. Um, it's not that they were just missing shots. It's that the value of the shots they were getting and the value of the possessions they were getting were atrocious there was a couple sets they ran in that first quarter where Jokic was used as a corner decoy um, which I think is absolutely absurd um, so just four points before that that first sub and, um, and and like I said it just doesn't look like the nuggets in there the idea is that you give a little bit Malone's thinking on this you inject a little bit of defense with Torrey Craig and he's out there to guard the other team's best perimeter player and you have one defender out there, and that's the sacrifice you make, and then you play defense. But it doesn't work that way. Basketball should not be thought of, of oh, we need a defender or an offensive player. We need this thing. Let's throw that guy in there. What you have to look at it is, how does this affect the other five or four players on the court? That is what you have to look at. You Sometimes you add one defender, but you take away the strength of the other four players on the roster. And I believe, and I've said this so many times, and I don't want to be, be bang the drum too too much. I believe that's what Tory Craig does to the Nikola Jokic free-flowing offense. It's not that he's a bad player. It's that what he brings to the table offensively does not fit with what Denver needs to do to open games. Um, so just four points in the first six minutes of this game, and it was completely un- unsurprising. Uh, and this is a lesson that I think Michael Malone has to learn as a coach. There are certain principles. I, I think one of the things that makes a great coach, you have to be principled but willing to change, willing to evolve. It's not that it's a bad principle to say that you want to have defense in the game. It, it's a perfectly reasonable thought process. It's logical. All of the steps there are, you know, I think make sense. But they're, you know, Nikola Jokic is a unique player. He's unlike any other player in the NBA. And, and I think unlike any other player in NBA history. So there's a lot of you kind of have to throw out some of your traditional 
values and ideas and really understand what it is that, that you're looking at. And again, I think Michael Malone has done an A-plus job this year. This is the one flaw that is sort of not just a flaw for this season, but it's sort of the last sort of um, – you know, a piece of him that he has to, in my opinion, that he has to sort of change and learn from and grow from, and that is holding on to the safety blanket that is Torrey Craig in that starting lineup. Um, you can't make a team something that they aren't. And the essence of this Denver Nuggets team, especially when Jokic is on the floor and especially with that starting lineup, is a lineup that is able to play this very free-flowing offense. Me and Scott Hastings have talked about this a lot, and he talks about it on his radio program a lot. Do the Nuggets get energy from their offense or from their defense? And we both agree that this specific team and their style of play, they get energy from their offense. And when their offense is humming, their defense tightens up. It's not the other way around. Some teams are the other way around. Some teams you get a bunch of stops and that fuels you to get out on the break and get running. I don't think that's this, the way for Denver. And I think especially it's not the way for Nikola Jokic. He has to be in, in the rhythm of the game. You have to really work to get him in the rhythm of the game. And you do that by having multiple options. So here's the X's and O's reason of why it's not has nothing to do with Tory Craig's three-point percentage or um it ha well it has a little bit to do that but not a lot it doesn't have a ton to do with the way he cuts and sometimes is not in the space something that Nikola Jokic himself has talked about uh, on the ringer podcast that he was on last week about how Tory Craig sometimes is not in the spot he's supposed to be and so much of what he does with throwing the no-look passes is he just takes a snapshot of where players are supposed to be not where they are but where they're supposed to be and so many of Jokic's turnovers especially in starting lineups of which their lineup has a lot of turnover the turnover problem with that lineup um, so many of them have come from um, him not knowing where guys are supposed to be and then it becomes a thinking rather than a feeling the game so um, so this is the problem but the real problem with Torrey Craig in the lineup in my opinion and I think Paul Millsap is the guy that suffers the most from this. This team has realized that Jokic does what he wants to on the court and everybody yields to him and they agree to yield to him. But what happens is he likes to run one pick and roll into another, into another in quick succession. In quick succession. But he will not run pick and rolls with Torrey Craig unless he absolutely has to. So what happens is you have one player in Paul Millsap who's not a pick and roll threat. You have another player in Torrey Craig who's not a pick and roll threat. And now that just means you have two guys in this instance, um, Will Barton and and Gary Harris. Will Barton is an A-plus pick and roll partner with Nikola Jokic. Gary Harris is he's an A-plus DHO player, but as far as a pick and roll player, I would call him an A-minus pick and roll player. Um, good, but not not necessarily great. I think Murray and, and Barton both, um, both of those guys much much better, but Tory Craig's like a D minus, and because of that, you he you never see those two in the pick and roll together, and because of that, you cut the court in half so often. So much of what Den makes Denver's offense great is you run the pick and roll on one side of the floor, the defense overloads that side of the floor, and you get this very quick reversal into another one, and then the defense overloads that side of the floor, and if that doesn't work, you run it to the other side, and then you get another one in the defense. Once again, everybody has to rotate from being on ball to one pass away to three passes away in just such quick order that it makes it really, really tough. Well, what happens when Torrey Craig is out there is that just does not happen. The defense gets to overload one side, the ball gets sticky, and as a result, the shot selection and the way the offense looks completely changes. And I believe this is why when when Jokic plays with Torrey Craig uh, in, in these specifically in these lineups, you see him go one of eight from the three-point line. He's trying to be aggressive. He's trying to set the, uh, the 
tone, but there's no paint to operate in. So a lot of that just results in him taking a lot of threes. And what you get is an offense that scores four points in six minutes and an offense. Some of these numbers are actually kind of they had a 78 offensive rating with that starting unit today. 78 points per 100 possessions is that has to be the worst the worst I've ever seen a lineup operate at and they only scored 16 or I'm sorry 21 points in 16 minutes with that lineup 21 they were on pace for a 50 point game if they would have just played that lineup the entire time 50 points and that's a lineup that features Nikola Jokic one of the best offensive players in the entire NBA so I think and I hope that if there's a couple good things that come out of this one, Denver rallied. They always believed, and there's some cool stuff that we're going to talk about here in the next segment. Um, but I hope what also comes of it is the realization and the acceptance that, you know what, in principle, the thought was good. It, logically, the stuff was good. But I hope Malone looks at it and says this team, their identity is complete when they have what they need to operate their offense on the offensive end, and then their defense plays great. I hope this is the last time that we see Tory Craig in that starting lineup. Just to clarify, there's a lot of other bad things that happen, including a low effort level and all these things. My point isn't that it's only one thing that's causing the Nuggets to lose. It's not like, oh, it's just because of Torrey Craig that um, you know he's to blame for all of this stuff. I don't believe that. Torrey Craig's a great player and he has a role. I just want to clarify. What I mean is that I think all of these other things spiral from that. That is the, the seed from which all of these other bad things grow. So anyway, moving on. Plumlee had a nice behind-the-back move in this game. And what I like about that is I've never seen him use that move, but who I have is Nikola Jokic. And those guys low-key really swagger-jack each other's moves quite a bit, and it's kind of neat. I talked last game about how um, Jokic and Plumlee both tried that my favorite post move, the reverse pivot jump hook, and, um, and Plumlee pulled it off and Jokic did not. It's kind of cool how these guys steal each other's um, – some of their little idiosyncrasies, and I think it's actually really dope uh, little detail. Uh, Marcus all was absolutely dominant in that first half. I thought he by far got the better of Jokic and really just offensively, he kind of did what he wanted to. And, and he was just so in control of this game really through three quarters. Um, but things changed a little bit in that second half as Jokic got more aggressive, but he, he was really good. He looked like a guy that wanted to put on a show because, as people have been talking about now, you know, that might have been Marcus all's last game at FedEx Forum. And, and, you know, just in, in your mind, just to, to imagine the gravity of that moment. Imagine Nikola Jokic playing for 10 seasons in Denver and then leaving. Imagine the moment and, and how much you would feel the last time you see, you see Nikola Jokic in a Denver Nuggets uniform. That's sort of what this game was for Memphis, um, or at least what it could have been. So um, really emotional, I think, for, for Marc Gasol fans and for Memphis Grizzly fans. Um, we got another coast-to-coast dunk for Jokic, which <laughs> if you, if you would have asked me what would be one of his signature plays of the, of, of the season I would not have said the coast-to-coast dunk that would have been very low on my list um third quarter I thought Jokic came out very aggressive and here again allegedly Malone said you guys have five minutes the starting unit has five minutes or else I'm not pulling you out which again I think is a little laughable because 
a bad lineup is not going to work no matter what you do. But Jokic came out to me, and this is this is a good example of why I talk about the. I, I'm not a big fan of the aggressive. You know, we, oh, he needs to just look for his shot and be aggressive because that's what he did in this third quarter, and it was great. But it was making it was treating a symptom and not the cause. So what you get is Jokic being very aggressive, and I think there was ripple effect. Po- very, very, very positive ripple effects here. One, Marcus all got I think gassed down the stretch. He was a little tired, and I think a lot of that had to do with Jokic was just being so physical with him inside and just banging against it. And Marcus all a really strong and big guy. Jokic underrated how strong he is. Um, and a lot of this is he has a lot of mass. <laughs> it's, um, you know, he just has so much body weight and he really knows how to use his body weight to his advantage. Um, but he, he did a great job of just going at Marcus Gasol that entire third quarter, got away with a chicken wing, got away with a couple things that I think are offensive fouls. But, you know, I always say this, the whistle favors the aggressor. And that's what Jokic was trying to do. Now, again, I think against... Mike Muscala and Jonah Bolden. Jokic being aggressive means 32, 18, 10, and the Nuggets win by 20. Him being aggressive against Marc Gasol means he can have a good quarter where he puts up 15 points as he did in this one, but that it doesn't necessarily mean Denver is going to win the game. And as a result, that third quarter, Jokic is aggressive. The Nuggets fall even further behind, and they go down 45 to 70. So they are down 25 points um, in the third quarter, which is, I mean, I. I think any rational person turns this game off at that point. Um, for all of you that kept on, you guys are great fans, but you're also crazy. Uh, Malone got a technical foul. It was a bit, I thought, this happened last year at one point where, and this is a coach just trying everything he can. Um, you know, sometimes you get a tech thinking, okay, maybe this will rally the troops or whatever. Maybe he just wanted to go. He's like, this game's over. I want to get out of here. Um, but it felt to me like I was like, okay, he's trying to he's trying to rally the troops and he's trying to save Jokic a little bit. Um, but it did, you know, I don't think that it really worked. It, the Nuggets continued to kind of f- show some fight, but um, they they didn't. Like I said, in my memory, they started the comeback there. When I rewatched, that just wasn't really. Um, wasn't really the 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 case. Jokic, I thought, kept forcing shots. I've never seen him get his shot blocked when he went one on three before, but he just kept going. And and again, I'm not saying this is a complaint. It's actually equal parts a positive and a negative because the positive is this: it, it we almost take for granted now. But last year there was a time when if Jokic just wasn't feeling it that night, he wasn't feeling it. End of period. End of sentence. End of story. And this was a night where things were not going Jokic's way. He was getting his shot blocked. He was missing every three. Um, all of this stuff. But he just kept. There was a, a point in this third quarter where he took, um, you know, four or five shots in a row, and it wasn't like he was on fire. He just was determined to get to the basket. So I think one mental hurdle that he has sort of overcome. Um, and, and sort of learn this year. One lesson that he's learned is is just to keep going and forget the last one. Forget whatever you're shooting. Don't even think about it. If you're one for ten or zero oh for twenty, whatever. Just your job is to keep going. And so he did a good job of that. Now. The Nuggets start the fourth quarter down 17. So, again, it's not like they're close. And in the first 10 seconds, they give up a bucket, so they're down 19. They're down 19 10 seconds into the fourth. It didn't feel like they were making a run. It did not feel like, oh, you know what? The Nuggets have some momentum here. It it, it felt like, oh, God, another 15 minutes I have to watch of this. Um, the Or 12 minutes. How many minutes are in a quarter? 12 minutes. 15 minutes. 
12 minutes. What, what's wrong with me, Adam? It's late. Um, didn't feel like they were making a run. The bench did a, a very good job of bringing it within 15, but again, the quarter started at 17, and the bench brings it to 15. Um, the bench, to their credit, I thought, did inject some defense into this game, um, whereas the first unit really just did not defend well. Any of the guys, any of the players, I didn't think, brought their defensive game all the way through three quarters, but the bench did, and even though it wasn't necessarily hyper-effective, it did sort of give Denver a little bit of fight, and so with seven minutes, the starters come back and lo and behold Malik Beasley is out there with the starters um and Michael Malone I don't know if by default because Malik Beasley was starting was starting to heat up and was making some good plays so I don't know if it was just a matter of him rewarding Malik um a couple games back he did not play Malik at all in the second half and I, I think a lot of people myself included were very frustrated by that decision so maybe he just thought okay whatever let's give it out maybe he's been listening to Locked On Nuggets and he thought you know what let's just try Adam's theory let's see what happens this is a banner day um, for locked on nuggets. It's a banner day for um, the the people that have have sort of been in the corner of this take because Malone went with it and with seven minutes to go, the nuggets erased the entire 15 point deficit. Um, it took a couple minutes to get to get going. There was a couple of sloppy plays. There were still a lot of turnovers with that unit, but the offense eventually got going and the and, and the defense got energy and I don't and I think it goes in that order. The nuggets knocked down a couple shots and then all of a sudden you just start to see them start to maybe not even believe but you cut it down to 11 points and you think okay if we can get it to single digits it was just at 25 you know 10 15 minutes ago if we can get it to single digits with enough time to strike um maybe psychologically there's a, a little hurdle to overcome and then they really snowballed around the four minute mark when denver just um malik beasley had a, a, a run out he had a three will barton had a three um, and it just it felt like there was this snowball effect where all of a sudden Denver's only down six points. Uh, actually, I think they cut it to four points and, and before Memphis called this timeout. And you just think, man, Denver might actually go ahead and win this. And best of all, it's with the lineup that just makes sense. You put Gary Harris, Will Barton, Malik Beasley in a backcourt, and now you can run a free-flowing continuity offense. And by the way, you can't help off of any of those guys. All three of those guys can punish you from the three-point line. Um, and then the other thing I like about pairing Beasley and Barton with Jokic both guys are very, very um, sneaky. They're they're sleek. They get they get around tight corners. They they're athletic. They're springy, uh, and so you got both of those guys. And I just thought that Denver was playing at a speed that Memphis was not ready for and um as a result Denver really gets the ball going so many extra passes made and Malik I've talked about how I'm really high on him as a shooter and how he's really won me over the thing that stood out in this game more than any other game I've watched him was his passing and it wasn't high level passes like crazy pick and roll this or that but it was just solid making the right pass at the right time with the right delivery and there were so many of these in the second half of this game and in the last 15 minutes or so of this game that it really stood out and to me I know Malik Beasley can knock down open shots. I know he can finish in transition and, and finish above the rim. The question is, now you start to unravel these other parts of your game, and, and where is he at with that? And he's still, I think, he's more of like a low usage, off the dribble type guy. But he did such a good job of making decisions that you can see a, a future, a year, two, three from now, where he's actually very, very good off of the dribble, like Gary Harris. And you can count on him to, to even un unroll his game even more. So... Uh, and best of all with with Malik Beasley he's a young and energetic guy 
And as the Nuggets were making this run, nobody was more hyped. Actually, that's not true. Will Barton was more hyped because Will Barton just exists in this world of, of, of like, in, 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 I always say he's the heartbeat of the team because he really is this, like, emotional core of the Nuggets. But him and Beasley together, you're talking about this crazy um, just energy that those guys, those two guys had as this run was happening, and it was so much fun. I kind of believed when I saw Malik Beasley knock down this 1-3, and you kind of see him, like, let out this big, woo! You know, like you just you just believed you were, you were like, oh, man, this guy knows they're about he's having fun out there um, and they're about to make it happen. There was a Barton to Beasley kick out. There was a Beasley to Barton kick out. And it was just like, man, this team is in a zone. They're in. And this is what I talk about, about that energy on the offensive end. They were in a flow. They were in just such a groove that it just felt like the ball was finding the right guy every time down court. And then, of course, they just had that energy um, to go the other uh, to play on the other end. Um. Down, rewind it now. Down, Will Barton knocks down the, what was the go-ahead shot. Uh, I think a minute left. They call a timeout. Gary Harris up against Mike Conley, and Gary Harris cannot do this. Mike Conley gives him a little shove, knocks him off, and Gary decides to try to flop in that moment. Well, Mike Conley is a brilliant player because he probably would have waited another two or three seconds before going into the pick and roll. But when he saw Gary try to flop and the ref didn't call it, he got, he immediately punished him by making Jokic have to step up. He put the ball on the floor, engaged Jokic. So Jokic has to stick up, step up and uh, he gets the pass to Kyle Anderson. Now, Here's where Barton and Jokic are different mentally in just terms of like their 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 feel, even on the defensive end, like how quickly that that brain fired. They're, you're up by two points. Kyle Anderson gets what would have been a wide open roll to the rim um, for either a floater or for a drop off for Gasol or or for a, even a dunk potentially, which would have tied the game and given Denver the ball with like 30 seconds left or something like that. Instead, Will Barton rotates all the way to the center, which is their defensive scheme, by the way. It's not like he was doing something that was uncalled for, but he goes all the way to stop Kyle Anderson and he gives a wide open corner three pointer. One of those shots can tie you. One of them can put you down one. He did the one that that put you down one, and I think it was the wrong call in that moment. Um, go for it to the other end. Malone with the game on the line and Nuggets down one, and this is what I love. He calls an isolation post-up for Nikola Jokic against the league's best post-up defender in Marc Gasol. And the, the league's, maybe the league's best like one-on-one -on -one defender. And what I love about that is, one, Michael Malone has the confidence in his star player to do that. Jokic had that look in his eye the whole second half and – you know, I think we're at the point where we can start to call Jokic versus Gasol one on one and even battle. That's not a, you know, I, I feel comfortable with that in that moment. Jokic has been incredibly clutch um, statistically down the stretch this season, and um, this was kind of a cool moment. And he absolutely took it to to Mark Gasol, put a great move on him. He was patient. He got right. Here's what I like about Jokic: he got to the spot he wanted to. That it really looked a lot like that Miami game where he was right there in the middle of the court, going over his left shoulder. Um, Jokic knows how to get to his spots and he's slow you think you're, he, you can beat him off of his spot but he just takes his time gets to where he wants to go against one of the best defenders and throws in a nice soft shot that just hits the rim and falls right through uh, absolutely loved it next play down the court and this is what I'm talking about Jokic now in Barton's position where he has to decide how to guard um, uh, a rolling Kyle Anderson slow-mo and he plays it perfectly he doesn't overextend uh, and and freak out about the threat of Kyle Anderson beating you with the floater. Instead, um, he just contests it, makes it as hard as possible, and then expects a guy like 
Kyle Anderson is not what Memphis Grizzlies want to win a game. In fact, Kyle Anderson ended up getting two looks at it, and he missed both of them without actually being all that close. And that's just good, again, intuition, good decision-making that doesn't always come across in the stat sheet, but that was a really good play by him, a really good decision by him, and the Nuggets got the victory. What a comeback. It was absolutely insane. And like I said, it was a banner day for the people like myself who think that this starting lineup really is a little bit more, I guess, sensitive to the backcourt that you put in there, but it's so explosive when you just put one of the many players on the Nuggets roster that fit in those spots instead of the one, the singular one player that does not fit in that spot. And, of course, Denver outscores with that lineup I mentioned, with Beasley with the starters. They outscored the Memphis Grizzlies 24-9 to uh, in just seven minutes. What a stretch. What an incredible run. And uh, really just an incredible moment on the season. Let's talk about Anthony Davis because the news is out. Uh, Rich Paula said that he wants to leave the New Orleans Pelicans. He will be gone. He has one more year on his on his contract. He actually has two more years, but I think there's a player option on that last one. So he could opt out not this summer, but after next summer. So he is exercising what has become known as pre-agency. Pre not free agency, pre-agency, which means he's a year away or a year and a quarter away from being a free agent. So he is now letting his team know, you probably want to trade me because otherwise you're going to lose me for nothing. And, um, and maybe he is hinting at where he wants to go. Now, I have heard from a lot of reliable people um, around the league, not here in Denver, but around the league, that Anthony Davis is a player that would play anywhere. He would play on Mars if he had a team that could win a championship. So it, you know, I don't know how much of this to, you know, really to buy into, but people that I trust and respect say, no, he is a guy that like Paul George, I could see re-signing. He just wants to win. And, and this is coming from, you know, allegedly coming from him, from it, you know, that he's a guy that's not bent, uh, you know, hell bent on being on a big market. And some guys are, some guys are hell-bent. I think Kawhi Leonard is probably a guy that's hell-bent on being in Los Angeles. So, um, But Anthony Davis, I at least from what I understand, he doesn't care. He doesn't want the spotlight. He's kind of like Jokic in a lot of ways. Um, he famously was the MVP of the NCAA championship game and didn't score a point. I mean, he's a very, I think unselfish guy that gets it that gets the you know gets what basketball is about um his skill set maybe is not I think he takes a lot of flack from a lot of people of oh well why doesn't he elevate his team and I have a lot of thoughts about why he doesn't elevate a bad team but there are some players and especially bigs I think this is more true for centers and forwards than it is for guards that there's a lot of bigs who they make a good team great but they don't make a bad team good and I don't know if that necessarily should tell you a whole lot about it Anthony Davis is a top five player in the in the NBA and I don't think that that's a very controversial take um so now that he's available the question is should a team like Denver um be interested in training for him so first of all you know there's the obvious caveat of would Denver take a risk for one year of Anthony Davis? And I think the answer is no. Um, they would take a risk, but would they take a risk if they just had no clue? Like, man, we have no idea if he would re-sign with us or not. Um, no, probably not. I think they would have their intel. Um, they would have a good sense of, of, of what he thought about and what he valued. And, you know, if they felt like they could provide that, then, you know, then you go from there and you operate under the assumption that he can. 
I believe you can even sign an extension with him this summer. So this could be a moot point, assuming that the Nuggets do not throw their hat in the ring before the trade deadline. Um, so a couple different layers here. First of all, New Orleans, Rich Paul represents LeBron James. He's LeBron James's buddy. This is very clearly an out in the open and very obvious Rich Paul and LeBron James's way of trying to force Anthony Davis to Los Angeles. Whether or not that is reciprocated, that Anthony Davis is hell-bent on going there, I don't know. We may learn that in the coming days and even weeks. I think Anthony Davis can make this um, a lot more likely that the Lakers wind up with him if he says, I will only sign an extension there the way that Paul George did. Again, a team might take a risk anyway and call his bluff, but that's something that maybe will come out. Maybe it will. Um, and, and so, but, but right now the other side of it, the agency side and the Lakers side of it sure would like to give the impression that Anthony Davis wants to play in Los Angeles. So right now let's call this who knows, um, the Lakers would love for this to happen right now because they have this guy, LeBron James. They're the ninth seed out West. And I think everybody realizes that this Lakers team is just not very good. And if they don't get a player like Anthony Davis this year, they might miss the playoffs. But if they make the playoffs, what's the best they could do? Win a round, win two rounds. Um, they're definitely not winning three. There's no way they're beating the Golden State Warriors unless everybody breaks their leg at the same time. And even if they win that, they're not beating the Boston Celtics, Milwaukee Bucks, Philadelphia 76ers, Toronto Raptors, whatever team of those four comes out of the East. So there's a very low ceiling, in my opinion, on this Lakers team, and everybody knows it. So they are very um, – they want to get the ball rolling. The other reason they want to get the ball rolling – because there's a lot of teams out there who are not able to throw their hat in the ring until this summer. At the top of that list is the Boston Celtics. The Celtics have Kyrie Irving on that Supermax, and they cannot have another player. Um, for whatever reason, they can't fit both of those guys on, on, the, on the roster at the same time under their same contract. So um, they want to wait until the summer, on July 1st, when free agency begins. Then they can make their move to try to get him and a host of other teams that can look at it and say, okay, now we're looking to get this deal going and try to bring in Anthony Davis. The Lakers, not so much. They want this to happen quickly. Now, where does Denver play into all of this? A couple different things, a couple, a couple different notes. First of all, Tim Conley comes from New Orleans. If there's any, and this is a very big positive and actually I think a surprisingly important thing, that Tim Conley has a relationship with the guys in that front office, a very good relationship, and knows a lot of people there. And you know this in your regular life and in your business life, especially you know, real you know, business professionals that, that negotiate deals and negotiate contracts. If you know, personally know the person that you're doing business with, you can just be more candid. You can be more honest. You can, you, there's a level of trust there that you can say, hey, man, what's it going to take? What do you guys want? Um, you know, how can we help in this deal? Like what, 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 you can just lay your cards on the, on the table in a way that's a little bit more open and honest. If it's somebody that you don't have a relationship with, there's that suspicion of, well, can I be honest with this guy? Do I have to kind of play a game? Am I constantly fooling around? So I think right off the bat, um, there's always going to be a little bit of gamesmanship there, but I think the fact that Tim Conley knows the people in that front office very intimately, um, that gives Denver at least a leg up to know what the price is and to really get it, you know, to not feel like they have to get an overpay. Um, there's that. There's also this fact. Anthony Davis and Nikola Jokic, I think Anthony Davis is the single best fit next to Jokic at the power forward position and one of the best fits in the NBA, in my opinion. We talk about that dunker spot gravity and you have to have the quick leap and, and the ability to finish. Who better than Anthony Davis? He's super springy, super tall, has great touch, very explosive, gets star call so if there's any contact, he finishes, he gets the and one. Um, it, he's He's 
excellent person to play at that. And then also, he has the like reputation gravity, which is its whole separate thing. Nobody's going to leave Anthony Davis open in the dunker spot. They're going to have two or three guys with their eye on him at all times. So he automatically, if you just plug him into what Denver does, he automatically just makes them better from that. The Nuggets could also run, I think, start their offense very frequently, especially their secondary break offense, meaning you grab a defensive rebound, but you don't have a fast break, but you want to get into your offense quickly before the defense has a chance to get set. Um, you can run a, a double high screen just, just to get the defense to fight through two screens really, really early. Dive the best or one of the best rim roller roll dive players in the entire NBA and Anthony Davis to the rim. Pop Jokic, one of the best pop big, probably the best guy at popping to the top and then running the DHO game. And immediately, without even having to run a complex action or get cute or any of this stuff, you put the, the, the defense in a tough spot every single time down. And the Dallas Mavericks did this when they had Dirk Nowitzki. Um, and I can't remember who was their dive guy. Brandon Wright, I believe. They did this with him every single time, and every single time the defense had to switch and you have mismatches and you have guys behind. And this is what Denver, I think, would do on every play to very, very great results. They would dominate the offensive rebounds. You have two of the best offensive rebounding bigs in the entire NBA. You would absolutely crush it with that. You could stretch Anthony Davis out to the corner or the above the break or to the free throw line or elbows and know that you have one of the best mid-range shooting players in all of the NBA. Statistically, one of the best mid-range shooting players in all of the NBA. You would have one of those two guys on the court at all times. So you always have you you would probably have the best center on the court for 48 minutes um every single night save for maybe one or two maybe you could say a guy like uh a Joel Embiid wins that matchup from time to time or whatever but more often than not you are going to do not just win but dominate the matchup from that position um so you have that so there's so many reasons to think that this would work and not just work but work incredibly well the other thing is and and this is the thing I'm the more I cover the league the more I'm reminded of this there are so many takes out on the internet from 2014 and 15 and 16 from people saying, I would never trade D'Angelo Russell for Kevin Durant. Russell has so much upside. Kev Anthony Davis is a top five player. He is a player that is capable of being a finals MVP. Just think about it. He is capable of being the best player on the biggest stage. Jamal Murray maybe is. Maybe he is, maybe he grows into that. He's a great player, but Anthony Davis already is that guy. He's a guy that if the Nuggets were in a series with the Golden State Warriors, they would send, spend hours preparing for how to guard him. I don't know that I would say that for Jamal Murray um, or Gary Harris or any of the other guys, as great as they are. So, um, so first of all, if you have a chance to get an Anthony Davis, to me it's an absolute no-brainer. You can always find guys to pair alongside him if you feel like the culture is a good fit uh, and all of those things. So should Denver get involved in this? In my opinion, there's no doubt about it. I don't think before this um, – this trade deadline. I just don't see New Orleans. It wouldn't make any sense for them to to make a move. That doesn't mean they won't do something stupid. But it, to me, it doesn't make any sense to start fielding offers now when you can field better offers on July 1st. So I think a lot of this is much ado about nothing. But at some time down the road, maybe Denver does feel out. What players do you want? Maybe the price isn't as steep as people think. Um, but if you compare those two guys, you're talking about a front court pairing that is historic. Not just good, historic. You're talking about um, Duncan and Robinson, um, you know, uh, Samson and, and Elijah. Well, you're talking about some of these great, great four or five combinations. It would be right up there with some of the best of them, uh, at least in, in sort of that same ballpark. And if you can do that, 
you can find a point guard and a shooting guard and a small four. You could find guys that can just knock down short shots and do the simple thing. I really believe that. So um, I think Denver should look into it. Um, as tough as it is to say that, you know, we really love this homegrown team, and if they keep it, we'll be thrilled. We'll be thrilled. But you would you would be irresponsible not to do your due diligence and look at it and say, could we try to pair these two guys? What would it cost, and can we pull this off? And if they can, um, you know, I think you could do something great. But here's another part of this. Rich Paul's one of the most powerful pl- people in the entire NBA or around the NBA. You try to you know he's trying to get his his client to LA and to LeBron where he can make more money for his client and he can pair him you know pair his two clients together and save LeBron. You swing at this and miss. You might piss off Rich Paul, the most powerful person there, and LeBron James and all of this, and, and maybe you don't want to do that. So there's layers to all of this, and there are difficult decisions for all to all of this, but I think the Lakers or the Nuggets go into this with their eyes open and understand what they're, they're looking at. Again, I don't think Denver would do anything between now and the trade deadline. It would really surprise me if they did. But this is something that um, Denver is certainly not the number one option, not the number two option, not the most likely second, third most likely, but they are a team that could throw their hat in the ring and really throw a, run, uh, a wrench into this whole equation. And to me, it makes a lot more sense than it, than than people realize. Sure, you would lose some of the mystique around this team being the underdogs or whatever, um, but you know what? There's nothing wrong with, with, with having two of the 10 best players in the NBA on the same team. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I will be back again tomorrow with a brand new special episode with a special guest that I think you guys will all enjoy. We'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening to the Locked on Nuggets podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com.